As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! Referees falling over in empty stadiums, the nicest sounding goal of 2021, the story behind the best club nickname of all time, Premier League clubs with the same shirt sponsor playing each other, footballers on LinkedIn, and the biggest question of all, what is the crucial footballing difference between a Matt and a Matty? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 68 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to take a look, not a sideways one, not even a wry one, at some topical transgressions. First of all, David Walker, first time you're, you've are you been on this pod since Watford were promoted. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. I, I Actually, actually, I'll stop there. I always feel a bit weird saying congratulations to a fan whose team had been promoted. That always Thank makes you. my skin crawl. Yeah. First, time I think I've, first time I've ever done that. I like to think time. I did play a part in the, in the, in the tremendous achievement. But it was weird. it was a very weird one actually because just we were I was just at home on my own mm. when we yeah. just beat Millwall one nil and went up and I kind of tried to be like really excited at the end and like yeah. jump around and but then I was just like what am I doing? But do you think part of the reason that you weren't that excited is because um, and and we may need to get to the definition of this a little bit. Are Watford a yo-yo club? We're now in yo-yo territory because this is the first mm. time we've ever bounced back straight away. Right. Okay. Previously, we've had like five, ten years gaps in between going up and coming back down. So we're, we're now potentially about to encroach on the West Brom 
territory mm. of being the, they are the archetypal yo-yo club, aren't they? Well, that, that's quite interesting because or Norwich um, maybe a few yeah, I'm mean, like a few West Brom fans recently got quite annoyed about the term yo-yo club, considering it quite a pejorative term. I don't think it is. It essentially says you're roughly the 21st best club in the country. Mm. It's a bit like saying this podcast, as it is, is the 21st all-time football podcast in the Apple charts. I mean, and I would take that. I would take it, wouldn't you? Definitely. I mean, yeah, I'd take being a yo-yo podcast. But, but I mean, the, back the, the West Brom thing is kind of... is. I always sort of feel like the yo-yo thing sort of plays into the whole boing-boing baggies thing as well. Mm, sort of yeah. boinging up and down between the Premier League yeah, there needs and the Championship. Yeah, there does need to be a kind of short-term aspect. To you. As, as you said a moment ago, you need, do need to bounce up and down. You need to bounce straight back. Otherwise, it's not really yo-yo-y. Um, so what would be like one of those... Yeah, well, like one of those yo-yos that... The, the fancy yo-yos with the ball bearings in that you do a thing and it yeah. stays down at the bottom for ages That's before true. coming back up. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, alongside you today for the adjudication panel is James Moore. How are you? Hi, Adam. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, interested as a Spurs man, how you felt about watching a kind of wind and rain-swept Mauricio Pochettino sort of dealing with his PSG delinquents at the Etihad? I mean, it, it did bring back some... Uh, memories of the battle of the bridge mm-hmm. yeah that is certainly one of Pochettino's weaknesses as a manager that you know he's obviously a very emotional man and I think that probably plays into uh, the way his teams uh, do occasionally completely lose their heads and you know we saw a fairly unique thing from PSG in that they managed to do that in both legs yes. which I don't think you see too often losing it in the in the dying minutes of the first leg is pretty spectacular really so it shouldn't really <laughs> have been a huge surprise that uh we saw another red card and more fisticuffs at the end of the second. He reminded me of um, Davey. Reminded me of like a youth worker who's, who's taken like <laughs> his kids out for a day off and they've really kicked off like the London Eye or something like that. And he said, "Look, you know, they're good kids. They're good kids. Honestly, I know, I know that they've you know completely wrecked one of the pods, but uh, you know they're good kids." On <laughs> Angel de Maria had too much fizzy pop. <laughs> <laughs> Verratti sort of opening one of the windows when he shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, poor form all round. Let's get into the education panel business for this week. We have a bumper edition. Lots of quickfire things to start with and then unravelling into some of the most niche, TARDIS-like subjects we've ever had on this podcast. And I'm really looking forward to it. But let's begin uh, with some well-trodden paths. Dave, worrying news about the state of the glacier ice Mm. content in The Guardian. Uh, The headline said, the world will lose 10% of glacier ice even if it hits climate targets. And uh, listener Matthew Lowton says, how do we feel about impending Matthew catastrophic Lowton? climate... Burnley fallback, Matthew Lowton? Uh, well, we, we may well get into him <laughs> later on, funnily enough. It's spelled slightly differently. But he says, how do we feel about these sort of apocalypses being measured in footballing terms? Because the subhead said the loss of ice is equivalent to more than 13,200 cubic kilometres of water. Nobody knows what that looks like. We need it expressed in terms that a uh, lots of people understand, and that's 10 million Wembley stadiums. Fuck! Yeah. That's loads! We are in big trouble. 10 million Wembley stadiums. 10 million! I mean, is it just a stadium or is it all of the kind of stuff around it? I mean, that, you know, that mm. stadium is on that huge plinth and there's like kind of shopping complexes and everything all around that. Is that all included as well? It's a good Does question. to go up to the arch? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good point. Um, I don't think it's in and around Wembley Stadium. I think it is okay. the bowl itself, um, where the um, mythical lasagna would have been during the COVID crisis. But yeah, 10 million Wembley stadiums. I, I mean, mm. Dave, I think 
we probably should do something about that, really, shouldn't we? Yes, yes, I suppose we should. Presumably, if it's Wembley Stadium, it'll actually just happen years later than it was supposed to anyway. So oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> top top good. of the humour from 2007 <laughs> there for you, Adam. I like that a lot. Um, Dave, my only concern here is that in their efforts to express it in a um, universal or at least footballing sense, they've gone so big that I that the mind simply cannot comprehend what 10 million Wembley stadiums are. So it kind of defeats the purpose entirely. So they've gone full circle. Yeah. I mean, therein lies the problem with the whole climate change issue. Too big. We can't do anything about it. Let's get on and carry on talking about Burnley fullbacks. Oh, we certainly will. We certainly will. Moving on. Um, speaking of empty stadiums, um, Jem Passata uh, emailed in with this um, fascinating little audio snippet. We're all going to have to listen very carefully here because it's a philosophical quandary, Dave. If a referee falls over in an empty stadium and there are no fans there to go away. Did it really happen? Well, let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) The referee there nearly needed treatment as well. I mean, that is like, that's three people, isn't it? Yeah, so... James, this was Manchester United versus Roma in the Europa League the other night in a sort of empty Old Trafford. The question, I mean, it's... First of all, it's, it's... Hugely, hugely warming to hear that somebody somewhere still found that instinctively hilarious. But who was it? Who the hell was weighing a, great a referee falling over during the middle of a European tie? I mean, if I had to get... It's got to be journalists, right? Surely. That Do you is think? exactly what I I can't say anyone I assumed else. bench. I, I assumed extended yeah. staff. I can't really think, what, like a sort of Michael Carrick or something. It couldn't have been the journalists. The journalists, it couldn't have been. I mean, you know, you'll have been in... You're, I'm sure you've both been in press boxes over, over, over the years. Journalists are so keen to never to sneer at anyone who displays any sort of emotion in a press box that <laughs> I cannot believe they would have abandoned their professionalism to mock the referee it's got to be a bench but maybe it has to be a bench it everyone's there is professional like so the, the players are the only ones or, or the you know the coaching staff the only ones that just wouldn't care enough about their job to do it i think well this is interesting uh, this is interesting that we we break it down um um james we're looking we're, we're assuming maybe what half a dozen voices there if that yeah mm. yeah and we rule it if we're going to rule out journalists here because I just feel like they wouldn't or you wouldn't get more than two at the very most engaging in this nonsense. And I just think on the bench you you could maybe rule out the players possibly, Dave. But I'm just I'm thinking maybe sort of the third physio or someone like that, <laughs> the kit man. I mean, the kit man would totally weigh. Manchester United have got like kind of kit men and whatever with like they like kind of the, the kit men that they've had from sort of nineteen ninety where like names like Arthur and Harold and whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of the kind of old staff from the old days at Manchester United, from what I gather. So you can actually see, yeah, maybe it would be, you know, it's not like some sort of slick European person. Uh, it's it's probably some kind of down and dirty like Manchester United lifer who. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It wouldn't have happened at the Stadio Olimpico, would it? Yeah, Definitely exactly. Yeah. I'm just looking yeah. at the substitute um, bench, the subs for, for that game. So it was Eric Bailly, Juan Mata, Mason Greenwood, Grant. Lee, is that Lee Grant, the goalkeeper? Yeah. Uh, Diallo, Dan James, Henderson, Alex Telles, Matic, Brandon Williams, Donny van der Beek and Axel Twanzevi. None of those instinctively jump out as me as people who would do Third this. goalkeepers. Hend- Dean Henderson, maybe, maybe I think. Maybe, I could, maybe, I maybe both the keepers, yeah. Maybe Grant and yeah. Henderson. <laughs> both, yeah. Okay, we got it. Both keepers. Definitely the kit man, because the kit man is a, is a perennial banter figure at pretty much any club. But the thing about the kit men is, and like what I've seemed to have gathered about kit men in recent years, is that there is they seem to have a kind of no kind of official responsibility to, to behave themselves. Like They can be the most partisan 
troublemakers on the touchline and no everyone will just go oh it's the kit man no one cares and like you wait for i'm going to charge him what they're going to do ban him from doing the kit Definitely. it's not going to happen so both keepers plus the kit man at least all the people who weighed at that moment thank you thank you for saving the soul of football in the week that it needed saving um james moving on this is this is from the airtricity league a- an endless gold mine of high quality football content oddly enough but uh, branching out from um, Puskas Award-nominated goals, this is Chris Forrester for St. Patrick's Athletic versus Longford Town with potentially the nicest-sounding goal of 2021. So the ball's being laid back here. And then... Ooh. Lovely. Lovely. One more time. That's so good. Yeah, that is a very pleasing. The, the tension in the net is clearly exactly right. Mm. You need that look. You need the ripple, but you need it to feel like it's a bit taut as well. And I, I think you've got both Absolutely there, and that's incredibly right. pleasing. James, you bang on. The tautness of the net is just right there. Just the right amount of give to prolong the sound and, and make it sound like the ball was being accepted into the net. But yeah, just just lovely. Well done, Chris Forrester. Well done, St Patrick's Athletic for your net. Next up. Goody11 has alerted me to something very alarming during the Man City PSG game on Tuesday night, Dave. Um, On a recent episode of this podcast, we talked about the various ways you can describe open areas of the pitch. You had oceans of room, acres of space. But this is what Fletch had to say on BT Sport as Phil Foden burst out on the counter-attack. Phil Foden. All kinds of grass ahead of him. (laughs) Foden. Mores! Here he goes! (laughs) Well, the worst thing about that is, is he will have thought the second the ball went in the net that's going to be like an iconic Manchester City goal the goal that's put them in the Champions League final for the first time <laughs> and he knows he's he's kind of had this slight verbal misstep beforehand that is now going to be played constantly well oh. well, you say that you say that it was a misstep and, and, and you know obviously it's, this is non-canonical football language but but Dave, I, I quite like all kinds all of grass. Kinds it's like saying that all, all sorts of... He's asking him all sorts of questions. He's posing him all sorts of problems. He's running no. into all kinds of grass. He's not on a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, it is all the same grass. I can't name more than... I can't name any types of grass, let alone quite a lot of pitches are kind of combination sort of uh, real, real grass and Deso, like Deso, artificial yeah. grass, right? So it actually yeah. could technically be a combination of the two. Yeah, he. I mean, he's yeah. technically always running on multiple kinds of grass. Uh, it's like rye, isn't it? It's rye grass on a football pitch combined with plastic fibres. Um, You've looked that up? No, I, I've always known that. I've always known that, I promise you. Um, but I don't know any other species of grass i hope fletch does Stephen manaman definitely doesn't <laughs> no. and, yeah. and that's fine and that's fine and that's fine but um no i'm willing to let that go actually um i as the kind of self-appointed self-styled gatekeeper of the language of football uh, i'm quite wary of new i don't think i don't think it's going to catch on no no okay no i don't think so okay well i liked it anyway it's fairly evocative for the horticulturalists james quite frankly the best post-match interview snippet I have ever heard. Here's Emma Hayes just after Chelsea had reached the UEFA Women's Champions League final. Oh, I'm not going to sit and give you a load of crappy platitudes. I worked my whole life today, and I'm so fucking proud of them players. Brilliant. It's fantastic. Yeah, we we need more. We do need more of that. You know, occasionally, like Jurgen Klopp's done it a few times, isn't he? After after the Barcelona game, he swore, didn't he? Called them fucking mentality giants. But that that is. And she and she she completely nailed it. She, I'm not going to give you platitudes, which is what we get all the time. I'm just going to give you and whilst like slapping her heart as well. Brilliant, absolutely love it. And, and 
properly breaking into tears as well, mm. you know, for a moment. I mean, presuming, uh, assuming, you know, there's, we've had a year of broadcasters having to apologise for swearing in the background. I'm assuming they must have gone quite deep in their apology on this one. <laughs> no, oddly, oddly not. I mean, I, I, you know, as a professional now apo- uh, swearing apology uh, hunter, um, I was waiting for a really, really earnest one. But, you know, given the moment, um, uh, Claire Balding did what all kind of broadcasters should in that instance, which was kind of give it a fairly even-handed situation. She gave it the textbook apology, but in the context of it saying, you know, that's, well, we can kind of understand why. Yeah. We can kind of understand why. Spot on. So, yeah. You can't, because you can't, you can't do the, the stock one that we've been hearing on this podcast all season. You can't go, you may have heard some, <laughs> you, <laughs> you definitely, definitely heard it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I mean, we don't necessarily want to get into kind of um, anti-Barry Davis territory where we sort of celebrate this sort of thing um, uh, necessarily. Um, you know, Ofcom regulations exist for a reason, Dave. But if you're going to swear, do it really well, like really properly. Yeah. Like That was so good. Um, the best swearing I've ever heard in a post-match interview. I'm really happy with it. Well done, Emma Hayes. Whatever happens in the final, uh, it doesn't matter. Well, now. That's, well that, matter is, that is the lingering question, though. Well, was you going to have to... Up her game if she wins. Yes. <laughs> not, not, not. She'll reference it. Yeah. She'll reference There's only one way that can go, yeah. really, isn't there? <laughs> she might get banned. She might get banned from the final now after that. You never know. Far more offensive going goings on this week on the Burnley Twitter feed. Um, after their 2-1 defeat at home to West Ham the other night, um, they tweeted the following summary to go with their highlights, Dave. They said, Chris Wood's first half penalty proved only a consolation following a comeback from West Ham. Will Brown writes in and says, can a goal that gives you the lead prove only a consolation? I, I mean, I'm instinctively going to say, fuck no, definitely not. But then it's it's quite a tricky concept. Oh, you're, you're hard no. No, I don't think it is. I mean, I, 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 also, I, I also don't think a one in a two one isn't a consolation either. I in think. any situation. And not okay. unless it's mm. literally the last, very last mm. kick of the game. Yeah, I think you're right. James, what do you think? Well, I mean, if, say, for whatever reason, Sean Dyche had missed the game on Monday uh, Monday evening, right, and he was told that they'd lost the game, and, you know, they're they're sort of in the relegation (laughs) scrap, aren't they? It could come down to goal difference. It's not not inconceivable. It's obvious where I'm going. If uh, Ian Wine had kind of walked in and said, oh, sorry you missed the game for whatever reason, for this undisclosed reason, (laughs) could happen. Uh, We do live together. Yeah, exactly. We lost, we conceded a couple of goals. Mikhail Antonio scored twice. We lost the yeah. game. And Sean Dyche is thinking, well, that goal difference, that could be really important. Please tell me we got a goal as well. And he says, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, Chris Wood did also score a penalty before that. So a penalty as well. The, basically, the best the, the best defeat you can get by one goal, isn't it? Obviously. Uh, so that, that would be some form of consolation, wouldn't it? I think that would be scant. Scant consolation. The scantest consolation of scant nonetheless. Um, but Dave, I, I mean, you were a hard no on this, and I, I respect, I respect your position. Um, and in the in the technicalities of football scorelines, you're you're dead right. You're dead right. It's not a consolation. It, um, they went one 0 up. The margin of victory in the end, margin of defeat in the end, wasn't enough for it to be consolation. But if you're looking at a game in hindsight, and you're looking at it as a whole in hindsight, and disregarding how the game flowed, could could a goal that took you one 0 up still be a consolation? I think it maybe mm. could. No, because I think if you're interviewing Chris Wood for whatever reason after this game, he'd be saying, "Well, look, it's no consolation, really. We didn't get them. We didn't get the points." I don't think he's happy with it. But if Burnley well, stay out by that one goal, come back to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, we'll revisit this. I think they are going to stay up. Um, yeah, so yeah by more than the one goal as well. But no, I, you know, I'm tempted to say no. We can't be doing with that. So uh, yeah, that's the ruling. I don't think you can reframe goals after they 
it's <laughs> the goal is what it is at the time that it was a goal. At the time, it was it was what it was. It was one nil up. Yeah, <laughs> can't can't change to be a consolation later on. I oh, know a very interesting point. I mean, do, James, can goals evolve into consolations later down the line? I mean, what's the what's the statute of limitations on that? I mean, uh, was England's goal against Argentina in 1986 a mere consolation? I suppose it was. Yeah, I, I just think the context of that goal. We we don't yet know what the context of that goal is, and I'm not going to go on about this relegation scrap <laughs> again. But that could that goal could prove to be absolutely crucial to to Burnley. Take it to the extreme. If you if it was if it ended up being six one to West Ham, the the one in a six one is undoubtedly consolation goal territory but scoring it before the other six are scored agreed agreed completely changes it Let, come on you're absolutely right because um, a consolation goal has so much um emotion that comes with it it's it's the kind of the loping back to the center circle after you scored it you know an, an oddly good goal as well consolation goals especially in six ones um so yeah you need all of that uh, Chris Wood would have celebrated that properly. Oh, you know, the more I think about it, the more you are completely right. We've wasted at least three or four minutes on this. Then why are we bothered? Uh, anyway, uh, next up, this is fantastic. Sit back and listen to this. This is from Stephen Gabb, who has alerted the world to a club called Chalvi Sports, who ply their trade in the Hellenic League Division One East. They were founded in 1885, and they appear to have the best nickname in football. They are called Dave the Stab Monks. <laughs> Can you even possibly imagine where that have come from? No. Allow me to explain. This is from their official website. I'll give you an abridged version of the history. It dates back to the mid-19th century, and the common version of this story recounts the death of an organ grinder's monkey. The monkey bit the finger of a child who was teasing it, and the child's furious father stabbed the monkey to death, hence stab monk. The organ grinder was very upset, and the villagers took pity on him and made a collection. This raised enough money to buy a new monkey and have a funeral for the dead animal and hold a wake involving free beer for the whole village. This proved so successful that the villagers decided to repeat the event the following year without killing another monkey. A plaster monkey was made, which was given a mock funeral and wake, during which a man fell or was pushed into Chalvi Brook. The legend survives, and the term stab monk is used to describe any man born and bred in Chalvi who at some time has either called or been pushed into Chalvi Brook. The Chalvi stab monk is the club's crest and is proudly worn on the front of all of their team's kit. James, how sensational is that? That that is genuinely like a longer Wikipedia entry than Manchester United's Wikipedia entry. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean that is a great story, but I, I'm as with a lot of these things in kind of folklore and in particular in football lore. I, I mean, it didn't happen, did it? <laughs> no, no. What the bloody hell is an organ grinder? Why do they all have monkeys? Like, is is it a real thing? Yeah, but is it not someone playing a musical organ and the monkey's dancing, isn't it? Right. Never but seen one of those. I mean, You've not been to a bad circus in the 1800s, clearly. No. <laughs> this unfolding theme of ancient monkeys being killed for the purposes of club nicknames is Hartlepool, the monkey hangers, who are named after, yeah, that. So, but yeah, Chalvi Sports, if anyone could top that, please let us know, because, um, I mean, stab monks as well. James, like, can you beat that? Well, funnily enough, I have actually written a piece for the Kingstonian programme about weird non-league names and non-league club nicknames. And yep. this one, I wasn't aware of, and I think it probably would have been the best. Hmm. But can I give you the nickname for Stamford AFC? Yes. The Daniels. <laughs> it's a, a tribute to Daniel Lambert, reputedly yep. the fattest man in English history. <laughs> English <who> history. <laughs> reputedly. Uh, who died in Stamford and was buried close to the site of the club's previous ground. This was, was obviously like, you know, 100 years ago, not like in the 1980s. That would be too soon. But to take your club nickname from a, a fat guy who died near the ground. It's pretty incredible. 
the, the, my favourite thing about that story, as I've read it, I, I look at it, I thought, okay, uh, his name's Daniel Lambert. Daniel Lambert from Stanford. I thought, okay, what well, he must have been in sort of the seventies or something like that, and he had to be winched out of his house or something. And then you go into his Wikipedia page, and he's got this incredible, massive painting of this what I don't know, Edwardian era, God knows, maybe even earlier than that, bloke in sort of full kind of period costume and i just think wow he is a he is a vast man over 50 stone apparently wow his legacy lives on up the daniels yeah stanford you're right up there but not quite the chalvy stab stab monks shame but yeah more of those stories if anyone has them this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I got a DM this week during the Everton Aston Villa game from a guy called Max Fosh, who said, surely this is the first time in the Premier League where two teams are sponsored by the same company, Kazoo. And I said, I said to Max Fosh, who it turns out is a YouTuber and comedy candidate for Mayor of London. Astonishing scenes. I said, no, Max Fosh. This has happened 25 times before in Premier League history. I knew of at least one instance, and that was my first port of call, Dave. That was Sheffield Wednesday versus Southampton in 95, 96, 96, 97, 97, 98, 98, 99. Sanderson, you say, you are correct. Of course, you know the full list. Of, of both incidences and sponsors, but James doesn't, crucially. Oh, okay. It's that James kind doesn't. of quiz, is it? So, yeah, let's have a little quiz, shall we? Um, so this is the full list. Sheffield Wednesday versus Southampton multiple times. With um, I believe Sanderson made tools, Dave. Is that right? Is I, that I don't know, software? but I would, I, would have, I would have guessed like white goods. I think it might have been paint. Probably I think wrong. you may be conflating that with Draper Tools, which was Southampton's previous sponsor. I'm pretty sure it's tools. I'm pretty, oh no, I think it actually it's computer software. It's computer software, definitely. Anyway. <laughs> it's some nineties thing. This this segment is already at risk of becoming very boring, so let's let's crack <laughs> on through it. Aston Villa versus Newcastle in two thousand one oh two. What was the sponsor, James? NTL. Correct. This is gonna get into murky, um, potentially dodgy betting company territory, but here we go. Bolton versus Wigan in two thousand nine ten and two thousand ten eleven. You might just give me a well, number. I, I, I feel like yeah, I think any one of these could be one eight eight bet. One eight eight bet be... is correct. <laughs> yeah, and that's giving my guess for all of them from now on. No, I, mean, I think guess. I know one more. I'll give you a clue. I'll tell you. I'll give you a clue for each of them. Aston Villa versus Fulham in 2010-11. This was a. This is a currency situation. Oh, uh, it's not forex or something like that, is it? Is that a thing? Forex. FX Pro. Oh, that's FX, it. FX Pro. Pro. Yeah, of course. FX Pro of is course. correct. Uh, Bournemouth versus Crystal Palace in 2015-16 and 2016-17. Spurs also had Yeah, Spurs. it's Mansion, isn't it, I believe? Yeah, Mansion Group. Still don't know what they do. It's uh, online casino, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Burnley Sunderland in 2016-17. And the only clue I can offer here is it's the company that aren't 188-bet. 811 bet? Uh, it begins it, with a D. Oh, oh. Uh, is it DAF bet or DAF, DAF bet or something like that? DAF-a-bet. DAF-a-bet, DAF-a-bet indeed. Uh, we are... 
um, pleasantly close to the end of this. Crystal Palace versus Wolves, 2019-20. Uh, this, um, the, the clue for this one, James, is that this is the most made-up sounding betting company in Premier League history. Oh, uh, I have absolutely no idea. And this is last season, which says it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah, it's Man Bet X. <laughs> <laughs> all they needed was a number just to round it off. <laughs> And then, and that leaves Everton versus Aston Villa in 2020-21, uh, sponsored by Kazoo. Uh, but in a cruel twist Kazoo? of fate, we... We know what Kazoo are? What are they? Is it a car, car, yeah, like online. online card thing? Yeah. Yeah, kind of deluxe version of We Buy Any Car. Uh, uh, maybe I'm doing one of those people a disservice. Who knows? Don't care. Um, they've only, But in a weird twist of fate, Dave, they've only played once this season, which is why it's an odd number of instances, because they... they they didn't get around to playing the first time. Isn't it, I think, the most played match in like the history of English League football or something, and they mm. hadn't played until like the start of May, or uh, uh, late April, I guess. Mad, isn't it? Mad. So they've got to play each other again. That's going to be so weird. You've got the same sponsors. That'll be the 26th time it's happened, everybody. So, Max Fosh, you need to brush up on your kit sponsors if you want to be Mayor of London. <laughs> the next thoughts came from producer Dave, no less, the man on the mic and at the controls this week. Uh, his message went as follows. Random thought when reading Michael Cox's piece about the expanded squads at the Euros. Does Southgate write down his squad on a pad? Does he have it on a spreadsheet? Is it all in his head? Dave, it's very important that we know this. I mean, and how if he does write it down, how many times is he writing it down? Is he... Yeah. Does he have the one list and keep crossing names out, putting them back on? Does he turn the page, do a new page? It has to be a spreadsheet, doesn't it, James? Yeah, he really strikes me as a spreadsheet guy. Easily hackable, though. You can't hack a pad. Well, you can steal <laughs> a pad, though, can't you? Or you can have a pad like photographed by a long-angle lens by some yep. oik at the training ground, right? That's, That's a great before, point. Isn't it? Yep. He could leave his laptop on a train, like, I don't know, MI5 or something. Oh, yeah, like USB that. to That's bound train, to happen yeah. to England at some point. That is true, actually. Yeah. That is a good point. Yeah. I know, he's definitely a spreadsheet guy, and I suspect... When they announced this squad uh, enlargement last week, uh, he was probably actually quite annoyed because that would have involved a lot of reformatting, wouldn't He's it? Got, had rows quite a few cells sorts. would have needed to be... Uh, yeah. What's like this there. spreadsheet called? Just the squad? England squad? My squad? <laughs> my squad by Gareth, 49 and a half. I don't think you would say my squad because <laughs> that then it gets into sort of wedding <laughs> invitation list territory. But I definitely, James, I definitely I reckon he's got individual tabs at the bottom, uh, which I really hope correspond to what the newspapers would uh, use as categories for players likely or not likely to go to the Euros. Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. If he doesn't have a tab called On the Plane, I'll be really, really disappointed. Our listeners have some theories, Dave. Ryan Batty, who sounds like an approximation of all the players who didn't quite make squads in the past, um, (laughs) says that, I love that managers have to whittle down their squads. Doesn't that mean shaving wood? Can't imagine Southgate as a lumberjack TBH. True. Yeah. True. It's a fair point. Not a lumberjacky man. Um, Phil Battersby James. Um, it appears that only characters from Coronation Street responded to this point on Twitter. Um, Southgate's definitely got it in his iPhone notes. He's just worked how to strike through text on Harvey Barnes. Or like me with my shopping list, it's on a mini whiteboard in his kitchen. Whiteboard in his kitchen? Mm, I, yeah, I did. I did think after I sent an initial initial uh, message, there could be a room at St George's Park with a either a whiteboard or a flip chart big paper flip chart where they keep going through the different versions one of those big sort of military uh 
planning rooms with like a massive a map of room. all of Europe because yeah. obviously a, a big war room, big map of all of Europe because obviously the tournament is across Europe and there's a little sort of Corinthian figures of yes. every single <laughs> possible player and he has one of those sort of stick things to swipe them around and move them around. Yeah, a little yeah. stick to push them around. This game could be in St. Petersburg so we'll have to move them all over here. <laughs> you know, Jack Greenish has been left behind so never mind. This is what a mental image. This is what St George's Park should be for. This is absolutely fantastic. Yes, really happy with this one. That's it. That's perfect. We, I mean, spreadsheets seem the most logical suggestion, James. But now moving little Corinthian figures around on a massive table at St George's Park. Way to go. Thank you. Hope Southgate can confirm this at some point. Next up, James Segerty has alerted me to the phenomenon that is footballers on LinkedIn. He says, "Hi Adam, I've always wondered why footballers have LinkedIn. Often they just lay dormant." But what were they expecting from this? Receiving endorsements on their skills by peers or to facilitate a journeyman's next move by setting his profile to open for new opportunities? Dave, why do footballers need to be on LinkedIn or anybody involved in football? I can only see it working if you're retired and you want to get into the administrative side of the game. That's fine. That makes sense. That's what LinkedIn is for. Uh, Current footballers being on LinkedIn LinkedIn as advertising their professional capabilities to... No one else, no one, that's, you know, I mean, unless, I mean, has there been a football transfer arranged via LinkedIn? Maybe, Apparently maybe. so. The Athletic have done an article on this, you'll be stunned. Right, there you go. But they're, they're um, free agents though, right? Which feels yeah, very different. Exactly. I can see the logic in that. But like, I mean, I, I sort of stumbled across uh, Jordan Henderson's LinkedIn last week. And there's no, there's no world in which, e- even away from football, in whatever he decides to do after he retires yeah. from football, there's no way that what Jordan Henderson is doing, a former England, by that point, a former England international, former yeah. Liverpool captain, European Cup winner, whatever, he isn't going to need to advertise himself. He isn't going to need, like, you know, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp to endorse him for keeping things sticking over in midfield. That's never, that's never <laughs> going to be relevant. Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> just endorsing him, saying, great player, but does run a bit funny. <laughs> I mean, I understand why elite level footballers don't need to be on LinkedIn because, you know, they don't, you know, have to list all their achievements in such a formal way. People are going to know who they are. But as you slide down the footballing ladder, Dave, I mean, someone like Charlie Adam, for example, he has all his clubs listed like you or I would list our jobs. Which I just think is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of nice in a way. But I mean, we shouldn't underestimate LinkedIn. You get good numbers on LinkedIn. I, I like to think that, I don't know, um, Cameron Jerome is putting inspirational messages up. And getting 8,000 likes. You know, maybe Jordan Henderson's agent just sees it as part of the, you know, holistic social media approach that we have to be on every platform, no matter what it is, we've got to be there. Again, that's a perfectly, you know, perfectly reasonable explanation. But James, you, you get taken seriously on LinkedIn. It, LinkedIn is a serious platform, right? You, you're going to you're gonna get kudos for that. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a, like you say, it's a prestigious, serious, grown-up uh, social media platform. And also, you know, it, uh, this may be too serious a point for this podcast, but it's actually quite a nice place. People are generally very positive. Yeah. And in light of uh, everything that's happened in the last week or so, mm. you can kind of see why footballers might want to be there for that reason. You don't but, actually hear of abuse on LinkedIn. Maybe well, no, exactly. people not endorsing you for something is about as bad as it gets. Um, speaking of which, James Segerty says um, he noticed, this is great, Chris Powell is one of no fewer than 14 people, James, to have endorsed Sol Campbell for his Microsoft Office skills. <laughs> Actually, should we should we check Gareth Southgate now to see if he's got like yeah. Excel skills? <laughs> yeah, it's probably there. all on there. It's probably all on there. I really yeah. hope Chris so. Powell is part of the England setup. Maybe, yeah, maybe oh, he's yeah, in course. charge of the spreadsheets. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Our listeners say Ethan Henson, Dave says, is there a more LinkedIn manager than Scott Parker? <laughs> <laughs> he's very. I mean, I use this word a lot on the Football Clichés podcast, but he's probably the most earnest manager in the Premier League. He's very LinkedIn. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a very stylish young executive. He, he would look, he'd have a good headshot, wouldn't he, on LinkedIn? He'd have a good profile picture. Not like mine, which is, we've just discovered before recording this, still on there from 2008. <laughs> yeah, you still work for Talk Sport. Update your LinkedIn. Yeah. I will. What are you doing, man? Be I'm, more handsome. I'm, but you know what? I'm always slightly concerned that it gets viewed as a come and get me plea from my employees. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> always keep the door ajar. You never know what might happen. I mean, Scott Parker, James, he strikes me as someone who will eventually list all his achievements in, in great detail, uh, which leads us on to Cameron Christie's um, message. He says, I assume you've seen former Hearts player manager Gary Locke's LinkedIn, I haven't, that states under key achievements would have finished above Hibs in 2013-14 despite a transfer embargo, if not for the 15-point deduction. What an achievement <laughs> that is. Would have hit quarterly sales target for first quarter of 2020 were it not for global pandemic. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I imagine there is a lot of um, sales development managers out there who have that listed, you know, in mitigating in, in unprecedented times, in mitigating circumstances, we really did perform. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we are at the crescendo, the zenith of this week's episode. I cannot believe, I cannot believe, Dave, that we received so many, re- not not just so many replies, but so many brilliant replies to this. This is this is arguably the nichest we've ever gone, but I'm fascinated by it. I was editing a piece on The Athletic the other day, Dave, and I came across the name uh, Matthew Lowton of Burnley to come full circle in this episode. And my first instinct was, oh, I better check if he's a Matty or at least a Matt. I think he might be a Matt Lowton. Matt Lowton. But I thought yeah. I better check. And, and it turns out that Matthew Lowton is, is, it's okay, it's not overly formal for him. But I thought, hmm, make me think about, does the Premier League need a new Matty? We're running low on Matties. Um, before we get into Matties, I want to, I want to clarify that Scotties and Frankies are not the same thing. <laughs> that they are affectations, they're, they're over-familiar nicknamey territories of Frankie Lampard, Scotty Parker. They're, they're, not, they're not like Matties. You can be a Matty. Um, so my current candidates, Dave, for the next Premier League Matty are the man himself, Matt Lowton, Matthew Lowton, and Aston Villa left-back, Matt Target. How do you feel about either of those becoming Matties? Matty Lowton, Matty, Matty Target's not quite right. Matty, Matty Target. Matty Target. I don't think there's too many T's. Matty Target. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. Clunky. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, as I'm, sh- I'm sure you're going to come on to this, but M- Matt... Matt Target plays for the same club as Matty Cash. And I think Matty Cash is the current Premier League Matty, surely. Can you catch Can Matty's? you have Matty fullbacks? Can you have both? Is that going to cause some kind of imbalance if you have two Matties as fullback? It feels like it might. Or is it just going to be perfectly balanced? I guess it is, actually. Just, just to get a, you know, across this issue, let's get the foundations right. The current Premier League Matties, there are only two, as far as I can see, confirmed widely documented and accepted Matties. Matty Cash of Aston Villa, as we've established, and Matty Longstaff of it, it, Newcastle United, who is Matty in his Wikipedia page, just mm. to really rubber stamp it. Is so, is Matt, Matty Cash Matty because it sounds too much like... Because Matt Cash sounds too much like Pat Cash. <laughs> it, it, it does, which, which um, as Villa K2 writes in, he says, Matthew becomes Matty. 
if the surname is one syllable. So, and, and uh, this is a very important point. So, Matty Cash. But it doesn't work in the case of Pat Cash because Patty Cash would sound really weird. <laughs> Sound like Petty Cash. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what Arthur Fowler cash. got stuck into? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't have Patty Cash, but yeah, Matty Cash. I mean, I, I, Matty Cash. Is, I've been become so desensitised to Matty Cash. It doesn't feel weird to me. Okay, so we've got we've got our candidates to become Matties, James. We've got our current Matties, who 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 are our benchmark. I need to introduce a third layer of this, which is our borderline Matties, which I think we need to adjudicate on instantly. Um, Arsenal loney Matty Ryan. Now he's complicated by the fact he's only got one T yeah. in his name. Yeah. So it will just like Matey Ryan. Matey I, I Ryan. Think, or, or to be that sounds fine, but I think written down it looks really weird. I think you've got to consider the fact he's Australian though. Can you I can imagine That's him being point. called Oh Matty. Matty Ryan. Yeah, Matey. Oh mate. Maybe Rydog um, or something, surely. I, I I think we might have to keep him as simply a Matt. Matt Ryan. Bowling Matty. <laughs> But you, you need two T's to be a Matty. I think, I mean, Australian but you could add You could add another T. I think Matt no. could become... Matthews with one T are really militant about this, I think. They don't like having the extra T added. That's not what their parents wanted. So uh, that's fine. We have to respect that. Um, the other borderline Matty, Dave, is Matt Phillips of West Brom, who, who seems to flicker between Matt and Matty. Damien McKenzie says Phillips at West Brom is very much a case of when he's playing well, it's Matty, and when he isn't, it's yeah. Matt. I love the Andy Murray syndrome. I can really, really picture Andy Hinchcliffe just eulogising about, and we know Matty Phillips has got that quality. We don't see it often enough, but what a what goal from do. Matty. Yeah, I feel like his Mattiness, James, has faded. Like when he hit that 35 yarder, astonishing goal at Selhurst, that was peak Matty. But he's no longer a Matty for me. Yeah, it does feel like I think you kind of have to be on a bit of an upward trajectory, maybe, to be a Matty. Like, yeah, you know, like Matt Taylor, Matt Taylor, the Portsmouth Matt Taylor, was definitely Matty when he was like, mm. you know, he, when he was scoring thirty-five year, uh, thirty-five yard goals in the Premier League, and then you know, as his star started to fade slightly, he kind of transcended back to mm. Matt. Or I even, uh, I've even heard Matthew Taylor. He's a man, mm, very right? so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe he's doing like an Andrew Cole. I don't know, but you know, Matty Taylor is very much the the archetypal Premier League Matty. Um, Jack Regan says on on the subject of, of Matt Ryan, he says I, re- I seem to recall Clark Carlisle regularly referring to now Arsenal uh, loney Matt Ryan as Matty throughout the 2014 World Cup. Maybe it's an honour only he can bestow. <laughs> I like him being the overlord of Mattiness. That's good. Really enjoy it. Um, really digging into this, I found some patterns that might be relevant here. There are there are four, only four, oddly, confirmed Matts in the Premier League. They're not Matthews, they're not Matties, they are Matts. That's Matt Doherty of Spurs, Matt Ritchie of Newcastle, Matt Macy of Arsenal, and a chap called Matt O'Reilly of Fulham, currently on loan at MK Dons. Now, the pattern there, Dave, is they all end in a kind of uh, vowely sound mm. and you can't have Matty Doherty you can't have Matty Ritchie you can't have Matty Macy and you can't have Matty O'Reilly they can't be Matt they they are they are forbidden for becoming Matty's Matty, Matty O'Reilly just sounds like a an Irish pub in New York or yep. something uh, <laughs> and Matty yeah, Ritchie, yeah Matty Ritchie expect a winner 2011 <laughs> Matty Ritchie <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right that's exactly what you would say it Matty Doherty uh, featherweight boxer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and Matty Macy 
uh, upcoming Formula 3 driver. <laughs> yeah. So none of those can be footballers. <laughs> I think we're all in agree. This is really, really, really good. Um, Fraser Bell says there's a Matty Patterson, formerly of Newcastle. He's now at Gateshead. Matty Patty. Who went by the Matty Patty. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to reach the top of the. You're never going to hit the heights in the English football system with a with a even even colloquial um, re- reference of Matty Patty. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, there there is one more. <laughs> this is the detail we're going into. There is one more potential future Matty James, and that's Matt Smith, who is on loan at Charlton at the moment from Arsenal. So he's got potential to become a Matty. Yeah, that sounds good. Nothing stopping him. Yeah, mm, I'm not having Matty Smith though. Matty Smith is just. There are quite a lot of Matt Smiths already, aren't there? And they're not called Matt. Like the the big lanky striker is not called Matty Smith, is he? He's too big. You can't. Can you have? Can you have a big Matty? Mm, it's a good point. I feel like you need to be a bit diminutive, or yeah, maybe not diminutive, but certainly thing, not massive. Yeah. There are all sorts of traits that you can attribute to a, a Matty. I feel like they've got to be sort of bouncy, skipping. Nice. Yeah. Boys. Yeah. So we've covered we've covered the kind of linguistic grammatic. I don't know. I don't know syntax element of this. You you can have too many syllables, or you can't have enough. So that's fine. I'm I'm da- I'm down with that. Um, I put it to you, Dave, that quite simply, mattiness is more of an EFL thing. Once mm. you hit the top, I mean, you know, you can't become a matty in the Premier League. Is is my point? It's it's a it's a humble highlights on quest thing, isn't it? One hundred percent. Yeah. As I said just before, I think it's a I think it's a Hinchcliffeism. Perhaps or mm. Don Goodmanism. I can both of them just they, yeah. they you know forget Matty. about Clark Carlisle. I think they they are the arbiters of the of who is a Matt and the Matty. I think a fairly timeless thing though, isn't it, James? Like I, there's no era to be a Matty. I don't think. I don't know, actually. I can't Nifty think of that. That doesn't seem like. A, I mean, it depends how far back you're talking about. But I don't see that as like a sort of. There are there are no Matties in like the interwar years, are there? I don't think. I can't. I, I doesn't. It, it feels like a relatively modern thing. Yeah, you wouldn't have had Matty Busby, would you? That wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. part. <laughs> his, his career would no. His career would not have turned out the so same. Matty at all. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley Matty? No, it doesn't work. Don't don't do, it for, don't do it for surnames. No, seriously, don't do it for surnames. Awful, awful behaviour. Yeah, but I think we're onto something here. There, there is the kind of strata of English football, um, Dave, where you should be a Matty. Tom Place writes in and says, Matties absolutely cannot play for a top club, nor can they play for England. See Etherington, Taylor, Cash. Solid, solid logic. Ryan Mason's Blue and White Army says, also, all Matties are created outside of the Premier League. You can transition into the Premier League as a Matty. See Taylor, Holland, Cash. Through promotion, promotion or a transfer, Holland's an interesting. But you must one. have acquired the Y in the football league first. Yeah. We've nailed this. Matty Holland was he a Matty? I've heard yeah. teammates like players call him. Matt. Oh, we had Matty Holland. He was yeah, brilliant in the dressing room qualifier. He's, he's got that kind of boyish thing, isn't he? That kind of boyish look to him, Matt Holland, mm. Matty Holland. So you could he could definitely get away with that even now. Definitely. Can I can I put something to you, Adam? Yeah, go on. What about what about someone like Matthew Debushi? <laughs> could he be Matty? Matty Debushi. Matty Debushi. You've, you've backed me into a Brexit corner here because I just I can't I can't be having foreign Matties in the Premier League. I can't have it. Matty Flamini sounds good, doesn't it? No. I mean it's too close to the actual pronunciation of his name. There's no point in making him a Matty, is there? Well he might just want to fit in. And and all <laughs> I mean you know, on a semi serious note, all kind of foreign versions of Matthew only have one T. That is a good point, actually. No, you've set your stall out there, to be fair. Matthias De Ligt is two Ts, I think. So he could be a Matty De Ligt. Matty De Ligt could work. That does sound good as well, yeah. But only if you sign for, like, 
Barnsley. And I can and yeah, I can sort of get I can feel like the Dutch would be on board with it as well, but not okay. the French. The French is too unsophisticated no, for the French. I no, think. yeah, definitely. No, I think you're right. Um, Jarrell Anthony takes us into new territory here. He says, Matthew is an understated central midfielder at a team who hover around the championship playoff zone. Matty is a winger come fullback who has had a few moments in the big time but never quite panned out for him. Bonus points for having a wicked delivery in his locker. Very much informed by Matty Taylor there, hasn't he, mm. Dave? I, I want to give an honourable mention to Matty James of Leicester as well. A player who mm. I think arrived on the scene as a, fully, as a fully formed Matty. Yeah. He's, he's a Wikipedia Matty, I think. But is there any link between the fact that he was a confirmed Matty and the fact that his Premier League career simply never happened because of injury? Like, it, it, was, was he a Matty, you know, like a... In a biological level, and his body just couldn't handle the Premier League. I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm really sorry, Matthew James, but maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. If you've been Matthew James or Matt James, maybe it could have worked out. Anyway, our, our listeners really, really bringing us on home here, James. Ledders 11, left footed Matthews, automatically Matty's. Happy? Yeah, again, I mean, I, I, I feel like Matty Taylor's doing a lot of their lifting there, but yeah, that, that, that kind of, I can see the logic. I can see the logic. Skippy wingers. Yeah. Matty Jarvis? Jarvis wasn't a Matty, was he? Matty Jarvis. No, he wasn't. Matt yeah, there's something no, about very much him doesn't feel, doesn't feel quite right. Matty Everington. His mum might call him Matty. Everington, definitely. Yeah, he definitely he definitely got that. Matt Jarvis liked my tweet the other day where I pretended I was the, the new presenter of Football Focus. So maybe I could ask him. But, um, <laughs> or invite him onto Football Focus? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's find out. Sean Fox, Dave, says Matthew plus white tape around their ankles equals Matty. Again, I think this is a Taylor thing. And they mm. look more fleet of foot, bouncier, and therefore Matty becomes more appropriate. Yep, covered that. That's fine. Like this one, David Hartrick says you can only become a Matty on the pitch. No one's saying switch it, Matthew, are they? But send me Matty feels about right. So maybe it's a thing that you shout mm. on the pitch, and then it become it, it goes into wider society and people pick up on it. I think so. I think I think you might you might have hit on something here. I think you might get it. It might sort of the, the football media commentators reporters who are in close proximity to the pitch and then will one day hear Matt, Matt Phillips being called Matty by his teammates just think oh maybe I should start calling him Matty yeah, yeah, that's definitely. what everyone calls him authenticity mm. closer to the game this is James this is great this is like hungry caterpillar um, storyline here from Butters FCL he says we had a Matthew quiet lad who was average right back 6 out of 10 most weeks with the odd 7 but when he did us a favour and demonstrated his commitment to the team by helping us out at left back and playing really well, he was elevated to Matty. He blossomed into a Matty. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that makes perfect sense, right? He's moved over yeah, to the yeah. left. Because Matty's wouldn't let you down, would they? No, that's no exactly Matty's what you want. A, a, a Matty is someone who's going to you know, run through brick walls for you. They're good they're, lads. They're, like, they're just game for anything. They're just going to mm. run the backside off. I, and, can't, yeah. I can't think of a single let down Matty in football history, Premier League or otherwise, Dave. No, there aren't any. No. Matty's a solid, honest. Uh, Matty's are the most dependable footballers you get. I think. I think they are. I think they are. But I mean, that doesn't mean they can't have flair. We've established that you can have flair. You can score from fifty yards, but you're still going to do at least a seven out of ten job. This is great. And um, finally, Paul Holiday, Dave says you can't become a Matty as an adult. My feeling is that it's given to you as a youth player, and then if you make the first team, it sticks and is then transferred with you whenever and wherever you go. See also Nicky. Nicky's is a complete difference because who is the famous? Who is the most famous Nicky in football in your eyes? Well, I mean, I think there are three, and it's, I'm glad you've come onto this because this was something I was going to flag. Obviously, you've got you've got your Bambi, you've got your Butt, and you've got your Hunt. Now, Nicky Hunt, we don't need to explain that one. I don't think do we? That, that's pretty. That's pretty clear what's happened there and why that's happened. So that's fine. <laughs> 
No, I don't understand. Tell me. What, Nick yeah. Hunt? Oh, yeah. okay. Do we have to bleep that out? Fine. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, it's got a bit okay. in the haze all of a sudden. I thought it would be that, and then I didn't. I thought, man, it can't be that crude. And yes, it was. It yeah, was. Okay. it's Nicholas or Nicky. <laughs> I'm afraid. Bambi lost his why in Nicky, but but maintained his throughout his career. And I think Bambi's was probably around about the time he went to Liverpool. When well, he kind of I can like tell seri- you. Oh, you've done the research. I've of done the research have. into Nicky Bambi. I I call it the Nicky Bambi myth. And um, by because by go going by the um, universal metric of the proportion of Google hits. For the two most common forms of the 23-cap England ace from 1992 to 2020, the relative popularity of Nicky Barmby peaked at 31.9% share in Hull's 2007-08 promotion push. Interesting. So he reached peak Nicky in 2008, which I, I think might stun a few of our listeners. You may have thought he was probably sort of 96 Far be it for me to criticise Google, but that is absolute nonsense. It's absolute, that's just not. <laughs> he was sometimes a... you've just got to use the eye test, haven't you? And we yeah. know at, to- at Tottenham he was Nicky Barmby. With England at Euro yeah. '96 he was Nicky Barmby. Middlesbrough Gator. Nicky. Everton probably Nicky. Liverpool when he first went there maybe Nicky. But by the time he, you know, when he's back in the England team playing in that game in Munich, he's Nick Barmby though then. Definitely 2001 says, he is definitely Nick Barmby. Google says in 1996 he was pretty much at his lowest Nickiness. So did he become a Nicky again when he was a young manager, maybe? Is that what happened? Oh, oh, because oh, he was, he was, he was a young manager, again. So he needed to be Nicky again. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Maybe. Although, um, again, Google says that his his Nickness has been steadily increasing since about 2016. So he's becoming more and more of a Nick as mm. the time goes on. I'm, um, I'm with I James, though. I, I can picture him in that Holston, baggy Holston shirt. Our dealers is the manager. Part of the... Was he part of the... Yeah, the famous five, five, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Nicky, yeah. Nicky Barmby. Yeah, Nicky. Yeah, yeah. You, you yeah make, it suits him because he's boyish. I, Nicky Butt was never boyish, right? Nicky, but but de- definitely not by the time he was at Newcastle when he always had the Y. You can't be Nick Butt. The, the first Nicky that comes to my mind is Nicky Summerby. Uh, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah One of the only double vowels. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah. Oh, 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 well, I guess another technicality. You can have a vowel on the end of your name if you've got at least three syllables in your surname. Mm and then the, yeah, it becomes spaced out enough. That's, that's that. I mean, he couldn't be Nick Summerby, could he? Nick, Nick, Nick Summerby sounds like an award-winning BBC documentarian or something, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. BBC Breakfast presenter or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's good that we've nailed it because some people might look at this um, topic and think, wow, they're just going to make all this up. We haven't made it up. We've backed it all up with research, logic and argument. Really, really good stuff. Except for the fact that Chris Paul White, Dave has thrown a spanner into the works and he says, I'd like to know when you go from Chris to Chrissy. A la Chrissy Hewton. I don't... That's an industry thing, isn't it? Has Harry Redknapp just invented that one? No one's going to be known as a Chrissy. No, you're never gonna, you, no one's going to ever have Chrissy as their Wikipedia name. There aren't any other Chrissies, are in there? In the men's game. That, Chrissy Powell? Me, that's like, you, Chrissy you know Powell? when oh. like, fans will kind of add a, add a, uh, add a uh, syllable to a name to kind of pad out a chant? And so at, at some point, uh, you know, a club has wanted you know Chrissy Hewton's Blue and White Army or whatever. Mm. So they just padded it out. Yeah, great, it great point. Yeah, Chris yeah. Hewton's Blue doesn't work. Yeah, Chrissy Hewton's Blue and White Army. Yeah, yeah. Becoming Perfect. a Chrissy by the back door, isn't it? Chance, chance should not be the driving force for Nicky's, Matty's, or Chrissy's. Um, fantastic, fantastic um, subject. Fantastic exploration. Well done, everybody. Um, uh, finally, a snide shout out here to the one athletic employee who keeps calling me ad in his direct <laughs> messages. Stop doing it. 
I, it doesn't annoy me, but it's only, only my very, very close family call me Ad. So definitely not Addy. Yeah, Addy Hurry doesn't work. <laughs> Don't like it. Don't like it. Yeah, it couldn't be. According to the rules that we have laid down, could not be an Addy. Fantastic. Um, Dave, thank you so much for exploring all of that with us. That was that was very, very rewarding. My pleasure. James, same to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Glad we got to the bottom of that in the end. Yeah, we have. Certainly have. Um, see you next week, everybody. See you, listeners E next week bye The Athletic I'm Ellis James I'm Mike Bubbins and I'm Steph Guerrero I would kill off with any footballer to get a Premier yeah, League absolutely. Game, would you? not a problem Ian Dowie we've got a comedy podcast called The Socially Distant Sports Bar it's Liverpool versus Arsenal here at Anfield it's the big kickoff. new player Mike Bubbins who got off with Ian Dowie in the week Jurgen Klopp, of course, said that he's perfectly happy to play Bubbins in a front three alongside uh, Salah Firmino. Bubbins, 48 years of age, has never played football, but he snogged Ian Dowie for two and a half to three minutes as stipulated. According to Premier League guidelines, Dowie said he's got no idea how good Bubbins is word on the street is that he's not great he's morbidly obese it's about sport but not really he's not fit and he doesn't know where to stand his face touch is woeful and I mean woeful but he got off with the entire that's those are the rules son it's a, it's a, new, it's a new guy that I don't agree with it Gary don't agree with it none of the explanations shut up shut up I'm gonna die. <laughs> Download it from wherever you get your podcasts.